The Fitness Reborn podcast is a companion piece to Renaissance Fitness personal training. This podcast is to serve as educational and entertainment purposes only. It does not in any way constitute as medical advice. If you have a medical concern, please seek out your provider. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Fitness Reborn podcast. This is Sean. I am the podcast host and the owner of Renaissance Fitness Personal Training, where we put movement ahead of workouts. And my guest this episode is Mark Paisant. Mark is a podcaster, a father, and a husband, and a perpetual learner. His podcast is called Relatively Normal. The focus is on mental health and awareness. Mark, thanks for coming on. Sean, thank you so much for having me. It is definitely my pleasure. All right, all right. Well, let's just dive right into it. And let's start from the very beginning. It's where I kind of like to go with everything. So what's the story? How did we end up here? Well, that's, that, I guess that is the question that, mm-hmm. that we always have to ask. And, uh, you know, coming from a household, just a regular suburban American household outside of Atlanta, Georgia, sports was huge. Mm-hmm. My family, both my brother and I played uh, soccer and basketball growing up, and uh, parents took us to all the camps, all the, the tournaments, all the games, and uh, that was my life for so many years of my teens, and through college, I was a, a college athlete at Clemson University, and then I, I stepped away from the game, stepped away from soccer, and stepped away from fitness. And for a long time in my 20s, all through my 20s, um, I was suffering silently with, uh, you know, depression, anxiety, and just kind of didn't play any sports, didn't uh, keep moving, didn't work out, and went from a playing weight of about 195, 200 pounds, 205, depending on how much I stayed in the weight room to ballooning up to 320 pounds when I wow. was, uh, by the time I was 30 years old. And, um, you know, uh, a lot of it had to do with me just not liking the person I was and taking it out on myself. And also probably at certain points in my 20s, not surrounding myself with the right people either. And um, it wasn't until in my 30s, now I'm in my 40s, in my early 40s, that I really decided to take care of both my mental health and my physical health. And I've just gotten to the point lately where I've started to connect the two. And I've started to mm-hmm. use physical fitness to, to help with you know, my headspace. I've made sure when I'm working on my, my physical fitness, I do it in a mindful way. I do it in a way that relieve stress. I don't just go through the motions when I'm either going for a run or a swim or going to the gym. Mm-hmm. And um, I can honestly say I feel I'm, I'm probably in the best shape of my life right now uh, just by taking a few little steps and in, in, in making sure my diet is right and, and surrounding myself with the right people and for the first time in my life, getting an actual personal trainer who can, uh, who can put me on the right track. So that uh, that's kind of my, my physical, mental life in, a, in uh, about a three-minute span right there. Gotcha, gotcha. 
So when you lost all your, all your uh, initiative and drive to work out early in your life, in your 20s, um, were you able to trace that back to a particular reason or is it just like, was it something, you know, buried in your childhood or was it anything? Like, and can you trace it to anything is what I'm asking. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it, when, when you think about it for, for at least me when I thought about it, uh, since the time, so I started playing soccer when I was six years old and I started playing basketball when I was eight. And there was that structure of having practices, of having coaches tell you what to do, having your conditioning training that mm -hmm. scheduled. And, but when I look back, I, I can't put it all on that the structure left and that I had no one pushing me anymore. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of doubt in my childhood that I masked. Um, you know, and don't get me wrong, I was not a, a average athlete. My brother and I were highly recruited to play soccer um, in college. Uh, we were even recruited. I was recruited to play basketball, too, because uh, he was injured our senior year. Mm -hmm. But for the longest time, I just any recognition I got, any game we won, anything that was positive, I always thought this is a fluke. I, I don't deserve this. I, I, I shouldn't be a part of this. Mm -hmm. But on the flip side of it, anytime we lost a game, anytime I made a mistake, anytime something I did in the game was vital to us not winning, I took all that responsibility. I said, that's all on me. I, I did something right. wrong. I didn't work hard enough. I should have done this at practice. I should have reviewed this play one more time. I don't know what I was thinking. So when you ask about a specific thing was that I could go back to, it's there, there's a bunch of little things that kind of add up to me getting to a point where um, there was an addiction to food, um, it was addiction to sugar that, you know, I always had to eat. doesn't matter, you know, how full my plate is or how full my belly was. I, I, I ate all the time. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I really love sugary snacks, so I just had to, you know, had to have them. And there was no self-control there because I just felt, hey, this is this is the person you're supposed to be. This is uh, this is the, the the terrible human being you're supposed to be. And and um, through years of therapy and, and years mm -hmm. of, of counseling, I was able to work through that and and kind of put myself on the right path. Gotcha, gotcha. So were you able to? I mean. Were your parents ever aware that you felt this way about yourself or did, was anybody aware of it? That is such a good question because, you know, it's funny. My, uh, my dad started listening to my podcast a few months ago mm -hmm. and, uh, he, he came out and asked me a few weeks ago. He, he, he just, in, in that dad type of way where it was like, mm -hmm. dumb. right. Uh, so do, do you don't mind people knowing all this stuff about you? And I was like, no, I want them to know. I want them mm -hmm. to know so if they feel the same way, they can they can talk about it. And his right. response was such a dad response. He's like, well, you know, the, the next time you're at the house, I, I definitely want to want to talk to you about it. And I was like, that, right. you know, but that's that's cool. Like I that's his that's his way of communicating with me because, you know, I'm closer to my dad than I've ever been in my life. And I think mm -hmm. he's a great man. But we just didn't talk about feeling as a household. Yeah. We yeah, you know, we didn't. We talked about you know schoolwork. We talked about uh, doing you know cutting the lawn after school, and we talked about right. you know, everything else. But um, my mother, God rest her soul, she passed about uh, four four years ago. Um, 
her and I had the conversations about feelings. Like her and I had right. the conversations and yeah. and but you know, my dad was the leader of the household. So what he said went. And mm. I can't go back to a point where it's like my dad said, you know, for me to stop crying at a certain point. But there was you know, there was there were specific reasons why you could cry. And because you felt depressed probably wasn't one of them. Um, mm -hmm. So to answer your question sh short, no, they didn't know. I, I hit it. No one knew. Um, my friends didn't know. My, my classmates didn't know. My teachers didn't know. And to mm -hmm. be honest with you, I really, I mean, tell a 16-year-old kid that they're having these feelings. I just thought I'm not supposed to have them. Right, right. I it seems like... Yeah, it seems, I, I mean, it seems like a lot of times it's a total mystery is like where these, where these feelings come from. It's commonly now known as imposter syndrome. Correct. Like you, right, you will, you will beat yourself up over every little mistake, but if you do something well, then you'll gladly just kind of like transfer any credit for it to something or someone else other than yourself. It's just, it's, I don't understand because I have my son right now. He kind of, he struggles with this very same thing. I don't really understand where it comes from. He's eight. I don't understand where he comes from. He's very good at a lot of things. And a lot of times like, and he also has a lot of anxiety too. So again, that's another thing. I don't know where that really comes from. I don't know why an eight-year-old has such high levels of anxiety, but he uh, just counts himself out before he even gives himself a shot. And I guess I, if I look back on my own life, I probably did a lot of the same thing too. Like I knew certain things I was good at. And so I uh, doubled down on that. But if I knew that there's something I wasn't good at, it took you know an extraordinary amount of, effort, you know, comparatively to someone else, then I would just avoid it, you know? So right. again, I, that that's, and, and I appreciate the fact that you're noticing these things in your son and, and eight mm -hmm. years old is, is you're absolutely right. Like what, what's there to be anxious about? What's there to be, like, right. Oh, you're absolutely right. And sometimes we have to understand that our, our, our brains are wired differently. Mm -hmm. And that was that was one of the hardest things for me to understand um, a therapist telling me, because just like you, I was like, hey, I'm what is there to be depressed about? Like, what is there to be anxious about? Like, what is like? Yeah, I, I don't deserve any of this credit. I didn't do anything. And even when he counts out like, you know, eight things in a row that you did this, you did this, you did this. And I was like, ah, well, anybody could have done. It. I can't tell you how many yeah. times I've said anybody could have done that. But. What I've gotten to the, the, the point, and, and this took me a long time, and thus why my show is called Relatively Normal, is that you know there was one time I was in my, my therapist on the couch and, and having a conversation. It was one of those low points, you know, one of those mm -hmm. bad weeks. I couldn't specifically say why things were going the way we were going in my head, but I remember him asking me, like, Mark, you know, through all this, like, what do you want? And I told him, I said, I just want to be normal. I just want to be like those people who are outside that don't have a care in the world, that they don't get stressed about anything. I just want to be normal. And he explained to me, like, this is your normal. Like, your normal is relative. Like, you don't have to be like anyone else to be normal. You have to understand that your brain is wired differently. So you have to understand what's going to cause you anxiety, what's going to cause you stress. You have to notice your triggers so you're prepared to cope with them. And he said at the same time, which this might be the hardest thing for me to do and for a lot of people to do, and it's, it's the reason why 
I didn't work out for so long. It's because I didn't treat myself like a friend. I, mm-hmm. treat, I treated everyone else like they're the best thing in the world. Like, I'm going to give you the shirt off my back, the pants off my legs, the, the shoes off my th- – I'm going to give you everything. I'll be naked so you can be warm. But I wouldn't expect anybody to do it for me, and I wouldn't do the same for myself. Mm-hmm. And so through this kind of transformation that I've gotten in better shape, that I've started to focus on my mental health, I prioritized myself. I said, you, des- you deserve to be fit. Like, you deserve to feel good. Like, you deserve to do everything you can to stay on this earth as long as possible and be a father to your kids, be a husband to your wife. And if anybody listening to this, like, always has that doubt in the back of their mind and says, what's the point of going to the gym? I'm going to be unhealthy for the rest of my life. Like, it, it, there's no, like, how would you say that to a friend? If a friend came up to you and said those words to you, would you be encouraging or would you just say, yeah, you're right? And 99 times out of 100, you would be encouraging. You would say, you know what? I will help you. I will do anything you need me to do to get you on the right track. And that's how we need to speak to ourselves. Right, right. That's exactly right. I love that message. So when you started therapy and, well, one, what got you into the therapy uh, situation in the first place? I mean, I know what got you there, but what what prompted you to say, okay, I need some extra help. I can't deal with this stuff on my own. How'd you get there? And, you know, how long did it really take? Or is it probably, it's probably ongoing, isn't it? So that's, so the first part of that question is, is sports related. So perfectly with this. So I was, uh, in, in 1996 and 97, I was the number one goalkeeper in Georgia, um, Mm -hmm. in soccer, uh, had a all state, um, state championship club team, state championship high school team. Uh, we were number one in the country for 17 weeks or seven weeks, something like that, and ended up number seven in the national polls. So I felt giant a lot of the time. My people knew me in the hallway. I was in the paper. I got accolades. And of course, I'm not like really understanding these things, but still, I feel pretty good. Right. And then I go to, uh, to Clemson, who is a powerhouse in soccer. And within my first few practices, I feel like a small fish in a really big pond and I don't know how to deal with it. I have no, I'm thinking about, I've, I've talked to the coach about quitting. I talked to the coach about transferring. I've talked to my parents about transferring. I just don't know what to do. Like I'm, I'm surrounded by 20 guys every practice who were the same as me in high school. They were number one recruits. They were the number one in high school in their States. We had guys from from Maryland, we had guys from New York, we had guys from Florida, South Carolina, all over the place. And um, I got to one practice and I just, I was like, I gotta, something's not right. Something, I've never felt like this alone when I'm surrounded by soccer guys. Like I've never felt this by myself, even though every one of these guys is my teammate. So I don't know what made me go into our healthcare facility and just literally schedule an appointment with a therapist. I said, there's some, like something is going on. I, I need to speak to somebody. I was taking, I think I was taking a social 101 or a psych 101 class and mm-hmm. talked about therapy. And I said, well, let me try it. And I tell you what, um, probably 
top three best decisions I've made in my life because I went down and talked to this guy and it was weird <laughs> speaking to somebody who just wanted to listen, had no agenda, had no presumptions, nothing like that, just wanted to listen how I was feeling. Because, you know, you at that point, you know, I can't speak for the coaches now, but my coach at the time was not a, <laughs> a, a lovey-dovey guy. It wasn't a, I'm going to give you a hug and, and, and let's talk about feelings. Right. Uh, I, think he used, <laughs> I think he used more curse words than verbs. In his, yeah, in his, that, 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 sounds off, that sounds awfully familiar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I started that journey then. Um, I went for a couple weeks and it really opened my eyes to, to therapy and you know, fast forward a, uh, a, a couple years after I had graduated and, you know, kind of learning the scheme of things, learning, you know, trying to get, you know, you have your, you're an adult now, you have a nine to five job, you have responsibilities, you have bills to pay, you have rent and you're on your own. And I was in a really dead end job. And when I say a dead end job, it wasn't a dead end job that I could not move up and be promoted and get better. It was a dead end job that I felt like no one cared about my progress. I was around mm -hmm. really, I was, I was in a toxic environment and I tell this story all the time and it's not to freak people out, but you know, um, where I lived in, in Maryland at the time, there's a part of the, the beltway that goes around Maryland that connects to an interstate called 270. And mm -hmm. I was on the 270 spur of merging into the beltway. And I was in a company mm -hmm. truck late at night, leaving a work site. And I said to myself, I literally could just pull this truck into oncoming traffic and someone would have to listen to me if I, if I survived, like, I didn't care if I survived or not, if somebody else got hurt, I I did not care at that point. And I said, if I do this, like someone is going to have to at least listen to me. And again, remember, I'm eating poorly. I'm mm -hmm. not in a great headspace. I'm in a job that I don't like. I'm around a bad group of people. And I was literally seconds away from doing that, seconds away from doing it. And thank God I did not do it. Um, looking what's, back. <laughs> what's, what's, what stopped you? Um, I can't, you know, looking back, that whole, it's so vivid in my mind, and I can't tell you what stopped me. I don't know if it was just, you know, a uh, uh, something that, that, that got my attention on something else or, or a song that came on a radio. I don't know what it is, but I had both hands on the steering wheel at 10 and 2 just prepared to jerk this thing to the other side of the road or at least into the median. And I tell that story a lot just because I want people to understand that there's people silently struggling out there. And it's usually the ones we don't expect. I use comedy, I use sarcasm, I use joking a lot to cover mm -hmm. and mask how I feel. And the mm -hmm. only person in my life that ever called me out on it, I'm married to her right now. <laughs> and she's the only person that, that within hours of meeting me, said you, you don't have to do that like you don't have to joke to 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 mask how you really feel and i was like w wait wait a second like don't do that like don't we're, <laughs> we're not there yet so um you know i i ended up calling eap the next day from my from from my uh, health insurance and i went right. to a, i went to a therapist who was not a good therapist 
That's not that's that, that's another question I was going to ask you in a minute here because I've been through therapy myself here and I've been through a couple of therapists and you know they just I couldn't connect to a lot of these folks like and I one guy I saw like he wasn't a bad guy maybe not even a bad therapist but we never really dealt with anything we were just kind of like sitting there shooting the breeze the entire time we were just kind of like talk 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 about random things and we never really got to anything. So I just kind of, maybe, maybe that was his way of warming, warming things up. I don't know, but I just kind of like, I started to lose interest and I just drifted away from him and never went back. Yeah. That, and that happens more than you know. And, and I, I want people to know that therapy is, is something that you will know if it's the right connection. Like mm -hmm. if there's ever a doubt, if you're like, oh, this person, like keep searching because you know, going through EAP, this person was refer I was referred to him by, of course, my health insurance. He wasn't getting paid as much as he probably would in the private sector. Right. And once we got to that third meeting, which is how much they allot you before you have to start paying yourself, his his kind of demeanor was, okay, that's uh, so that's it for us, and uh, good luck. And in my head, I'm like, I didn't just, I can't unload 20 some odd years of trauma in three hour long sessions. Like what just, I was like, is this, I don't remember therapy being like this. And probably for about another year or two, I always had in the back of my mind that I need to get back in and um, I, I got to find a way to, to do this for myself. And thank mm -hmm. God. I found an amazing therapist. His name was Dr. Nedler. He, he works in Virginia now. And he ended up being my therapist for years. And funny story is that I think we got to like the fourth or fifth or sixth, you know, uh, therapy session. And I was like, okay, so I guess we got to end this pretty soon. And his reaction was like, what are you talking about? Like, what, what do you mean in this? I was like, well, we, there's a set amount of, he's like, no, we have work to do. Like, we will end this, we will end the sessions when you feel like you're ready and I feel like you're ready. And for someone to tell me that, and like, I, I have someone telling me that, um, that I'm worth it. Mm -hmm. I'm worth their time. I'm, I'm more than you know, an hour paycheck that they're going to get from my health insurance company, it totally just, it, it changed me. It changed me. And, um, you know, at, the, at that point I was still overweight. We worked through a lot of the mental issues. And after about three or four years with him, you know, we ended the sessions and I kind of went out on my own and I went on my physical health journey. I started mm -hmm. eating, I started losing the weight. And in my head, and I want to mention this because I think a lot of people believe therapy works like this. In my head, I'm like, I'm cured. I'm good. I'm done. No more anxiety. No more uh, depression. I'm good to go. Right. So I said, just to get rid of that little bit more, I should get in shape and everything will be gone. So I end up losing 75 pounds in nine months through mostly running and, and going to the gym. But I'm still having these little thoughts in my head. So I call him out of the blue one day. I'm like, hey, doc, I just wanted to talk. And I don't know what's wrong. I've lost all this weight. 
I have a brand new wardrobe. I can, you know, I can run a, a half marathon now. I can do all this stuff. I do 10Ks for fun, but I still feel this way. And I'll never forget what he told me. And he's like, one doesn't take care of the other. You have to be intentional with both your physical health and your mental health. He's like, so let's come back in. Let's do some sessions and let's work on the mental health and let's try to combine them so they mm -hmm. you can help yourself being physically fit and being mentally fit. Right. Uh, so often it, it like it really is the case that one complements the other. So your mental health and your physical health have to be in essentially in alignment with one another in order to benefit from either. Um, I think all of us, particularly those of us in the fitness industry, we know this. We know that the, the mental mindset has a huge impact on how well you train your body and, of course, your self-esteem and your sense of confidence and all that, all that stuff. So why, why is it, in your opinion, do you think that they are so intrinsically linked? Well, you know, um, a lot of it has to do with how we pick ourselves up after failure. And I'll give you a, a, a really good example on both ends. So if I ever just get really down on myself and have a bad day in the past, I would sit in that and think, this is it. This is all I can do. I'm never going to be happy. I'm never going to be satisfied. And on the flip side of it, I've been doing a lot of work in the gym lately on um, a lot of core, a lot of lower body stuff, a lot of uh, different types of deadlifts, sumo lifts, things like that, just to try mm -hmm. to, um, you know, um, work on especially lower body strength and core strength. And, you know, at certain points, I can't lift the weight. I can't lift it. It, it you know, when you're trying to build muscle, all right. Um, you know, you get to a point where you want to test yourself. You want to say, uh, you know, let me exactly. See what I do. Yeah. And whether you're on a bench press, whether you're doing squats, whether you're doing curl, whatever you're doing, there's going to be that time where you just can't get it up, whether the muscle is mm -hmm. fatigued or it's just too heavy. One of the two. And I remember when I first started going to the gym, um, and I'm sure you've probably seen this a lot. I went too heavy, too fast. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I'm just like, oh, I must not be strong. Like, I don't know who I'm kidding. I'm, I'm not a strong person. But now, you know, what I did in the past few weeks is I did try to max out on on deadlifts. And I was able to get the, the weight up, but I recorded myself and I, my, my form was just all off. My form mm -hmm. was just not where it's supposed to be. So what I did is I, I reduced the weight and I wanted to get to a point where I could rep a certain weight and do it with the correct form and not right. hurt myself. So it's the same way. Like once we hit that wall, whether we can't lift a weight or whether we can't get out of a, a bad headspace, knowing that we have the ability to cope correctly. I easily could have left that gym that day and said, this is, this is BS. This is, I can't, I don't know why I even do it. Like mm -hmm. I wanted to lift this. Um, but I didn't, I said, one, I'm just going to take the, the weight a little lower and a, a little lower, a, a good bit lower and just mm -hmm. make sure my form is correct because that's the way I build the muscle to get to where I want to be the same way with the brain and the feelings. You know, if we start, to just if we just stop at the first sign of that stress or that negative thought in our head then we're not doing we're doing ourselves a disservice 
Right. Use the coping mechanisms to say, I've been here before. I know what to do. I just got to take some weight off in my life and prioritize what I need to do. And we start working back to what we want to do. Right. Exactly right. Uh, on another podcast, we kind of, we were going into this area of mindset and I mentioned a book that it turned out he had read too. It was called uh, Mindset. It was written by um, a woman named Carol Dweck. And it talks about the contrast between the fixed mindset and the growth mindset. So, you know, the growth mindset is one that says, okay, I'm not there yet, but all I have to do is just keep working at it. And eventually I will get there. You know, it, it'll take time and I'll have to maybe reduce the workload like you did with your deadlifts. But eventually over time, I will get there. It's only a matter of time if I'm consistent. The fixed mindset is like, and I've heard this from people before in all kinds, all types of contexts, like either in the gym lifting or like sales numbers or something like that. It's like, you either got it or you don't, you know, it is, you know, I heard, I heard one guy in the gym long ago, you know, saying he was talking about his, I don't know, his career. He's a top salesman in like the meat industry or something like that. He was just kind of riffing to me and some other guy talking himself up. And he was like saying, I'm the Michael Jordan of the meat sales. They call me when they want to move the big stuff. You know, you either got it or you don't, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that's ironic you say that because Michael Jordan of all people was a growth mindset kind of guy. He's, you know, he never dwelled on anything just because he didn't pull something off. You know, he never sat around saying, all right, it's impossible. I can't do it then. No, he doubled down and he worked on it. Like when he changed careers into baseball, he wasn't a very good baseball player when he went into it, but he worked on it and he improved for the time that he was there. So uh, it is, it, it's, it's nice to find like this connection between, you know, this, uh, this uh, place of mindset where you happen to be is like one says, I got room to grow. The other is like, you stop growing, you're screwed. And I, I have not heard of the book, but I'm glad you mentioned it because I just recently, probably in the last year, and again, through therapy, talking about that growth mindset, we, we, we talked about it all the time, is I've started to, to use that a lot with the people that I lead and mm -hmm. the people that I coach and having them understand that there is like the obstacle today doesn't have to stay that obstacle like we right. we can work on getting around it getting over it getting through it whatever you have yep. to do and i you know especially and you said you have an eight-year-old i have an eight and a seven-year-old and mm -hmm. uh, two girls and you know with the youth coaching that i do we always talk about obstacles we always talk about what we can do and there comes a point where people young people believe they hit a wall and the thing about coaching and you probably know this through training also is that there's this fine line there's this little balance this dance you have to do with pushing people to know their limitations but at the same time having them go past what they believe are their limitations and that growth mindset internally is what i was doing what I've been doing for the past year, I've been, I, you know, in the past, I've said, I can't do this. In the past, I said, I've, I can't be happy. In the past, I've said, if I wake up grumpy, today's going to be a horrible day. If I get bad news at 8 a.m., you know, the whole day is shot. Mm -hmm. It's like, wait, wait a second. Like, why am I letting an external source control how I live my life? Right. Why am I doing that? And 
So through the, and this is where, you know, I can use meditation or I can mm -hmm. use an hour at the gym. Like once I started being intentional with, hey, I'm going to go to this bench press machine and I'm going to put two plates on and I'm really going to focus on my form and I'm going to, I'm going to really focus on my breathing and how the bar goes up and down and exert that energy and all that stress is leaving with it. Once I'm able to be intentional about what I'm doing or what I've done, it's, cha mm -hmm. cha it's changed me. It's really changed me. And I, and I know people go to the gym just to sometimes just to get out of the house and sometimes just to have fun or whatever. I see, listen, during the summer at my gym, all the teenagers are, are all, all the kids are back in town for, uh, from college and half of the guys are, are, you know, taking selfies next to the bench press machine and, and all the girls are just talking. It's like, there's no in intentionality with what they're doing. They're just there to hang out, have fun, see their friends. Like when I'm right. there, when I'm there, the headphones are on, like I'm intentional. That is my time. That's my stress relief. And I also want to stay in that growth mindset. Like I'm not going to be bench pressing 135 for six months in a row for two reasons. One, that does nothing for me. And two, it doesn't test my limitations either. So mm -hmm. my goal is to, and then I'm not going to stay on the bench press. I'm going to go to incline and then decline. And then I'm going to go, you know, it's, it's, I'm going to start testing myself. And from the moment I began to where I am now, I'm amazed by how strong I've gotten and not strong, like big muscles or anything like that, but literally how mentally strong I've gotten because sometimes that eighth, ninth, 10th rep on the third set, in the past, I'd say, I, I don't need to do it. I don't like that. What's that going to do? But once you really lock your arms out on that 10th rep of the third set and you're like, and you look back and you're like, how many plates do I have on that? I've gotten this far. I, I did that. Mm -hmm. it oh, man, it's, it's such a great feeling. Such an amazing feeling. It is a great feeling. So earlier you spoke about putting yourself first. And how you need, how you always have to put yourself first. So not, not a lot of people really understand that because there is this thing where, you know, putting yourself first is a kind of taken as a, a selfish act. Explain to us why it's not a selfish act. So I was one of those people and I, I don't want to bring up religion, but I was mm -hmm. raised Catholic in the South. So, you know, died for our sins, all that good stuff, be selfless, all that stuff. I, I understand that. And for the longest time, I had the feeling that nothing I do in this world do I need to do for myself. I need to do it for others. Mm -hmm. But as I've gotten older, and I'm in my 40s now, and um, this is something that came to me not too long ago, where I started to understand that everything that's important to me, think about it, my my wife, my kids, my family, my brother, my sister, my dad, my, my friends, my job, coaching, everything that's important to me, there's one common denominator in all that. And that's me. I need to be involved in that stuff. So when I say I put myself first, or when I say I prioritize myself, I'm doing it in a way because I care to be involved in all these things. You know, I want to be a good husband for my wife. That relationship can't 
can't go on unless I'm here. I want to be a good dad to my two girls. That can't happen unless I'm here. I want to be a good coach to the girls that I coach. That can't happen unless I'm here. Like, yes, I understand that it's very difficult for people to kind of wrap their head around prioritizing themselves. But for the longest time, I did not prioritize my mental health. For the longest time, I didn't prioritize my physical health. Mm -hmm. I was eating poorly. I was sleeping poorly. I was drinking too much, too much sweets, too much, you know, processed foods and processed sugars, all that stuff. Um, but once I started to realize that I can make time for myself, I can make sure that I'm healthy. Like I wanted to get healthy because I want to be around for my kids. I want right. to be able to coach them. I want to be able to teach my girls how to read, how to do math how to ride a bike. I want to do all that stuff. Like regardless if I'm too unhealthy to, to even get on my feet and, and run with them and play with them, like I still need to be intentional about being a part of their lives. I want to be a good friend. I want to be a friend that anybody can call and I can have the time to speak to them and see how they're doing. I want to be able to see my dad now and, and hang out and just watch a game with him. Mm -hmm. You know, so all that stuff I just mentioned, I'm included in that stuff. So that's what I mean by prioritizing. Like, I'm not doing it in a way where I want all the money myself. I want all the food myself. I want all the love and admiration myself. No, that's right. selfish. I want to do it in a way that I can be around to help others. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, I think that's a, a very good way to make the distinction between what is genuinely a selfish act and what is, you know, an act of actual prioritizing what is good for you and what is ultimately good for all these people who are dependent on you, like your kids or, you know, the kids that you coach in your, um, in, your in, in the, in the sports, in sports areas. So I, cause I, I very frequently run up against that, you know, people have, you know, they have like an issue, like, like paying for personal training or something like that. Cause you know, in the scope of things, you know, they just can't see how like paying that much money for something that is going to benefit them in the long run versus like something that's going to uh, make their kids happy in, in the immediate moment. You know, it's all about investment, so mm -hmm. whether it's time, money, whatever it is, it's all about investment. And the reason and, and I'll be honest with you, I'll be telling you, I thought the same thing a personal training. I really did for the longest time. I'm like, why am I going to pay somebody when I can just like get a set at the house or get a gym? Manager? Right. Like why, why, why would I do that? And that didn't change until I looked at it as an investment in myself. And I went and, and had the consultation. I sat down with the, the, the sales guy. He put me through the hour long, you know, training to, to kind of see where my body was at and, and mm -hmm. the good shape I thought I was in. I, I, I really was not. And I'm, I'm not, <laughs> I, I, I'll say it, you know, I'm, I'm thinking I'm, I'm doing pretty well. And they, they do the fat percentage and, and do some, some squats and, and some, uh, some planks. And I'm like, man, I am, it's 15 minutes in and I'm sweating profusely. Like what is, yeah. come on. And, right. and so we're sitting down and talking and he throws the number at me. And, and usually this is a number I would not pay. I would not pay. And I was like, wait a second. Like I'm not 
just giving this money away right now. Like that's not what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. I'm investing in my physical health. So, and I was like, I would spend this money on some type of subscription or, or something that I wouldn't need in the next six mm -hmm. months, or I could pay it right now and invest in myself. Right. So, I mean, from your perspective though, like, I, cause I can, I know the barrier that people run up against when they are making those, when they're having those thoughts and they're making those decisions. Like, like you just said that, you know, it's perfectly logical that, you know, that I would spend this money on something frivolous that wouldn't do anything for me. But, you know, the truth is, is that that's beside the point. Spending this money on like, say, I don't know, whatever it is that makes you happy that is really not a worthwhile investment, but it's making me happy. It's making me feel good. You know, I get that instant gratification. It's the emotions as of what you're really paying for. So you, at some point, you had to have some sort of uh, moment of clarity where you're saying, or something, something about it actually spoke to your emotional side and said, you know what, this is worth, this is worth the money. So... Do you, know, do you know what that really was or what really, what really caused that crossover? You're absolutely right. And so before COVID, my wife and I were going to the gym together a couple of days a week. I was running a couple of uh -huh. days a week and staying in some good shape. And then, you know, COVID hits and, and we decide to suspend our, our gym memberships. And, and, you know, we buy a Peloton like a bunch of right. people do. And, and I hate riding right. a station. I hate anything stationary. Like I need to be moving. And, um, same, so, <laughs> I just, I just can't do it. No, I know I'm not a fan of treadmills. I mean, I will do them every, maybe one or two times a year, but other than that, now, you and I probably, probably on the same days, we probably do it. So, but, um, I, I could see that it made her happy and she mm -hmm. was continuing with her fitness and I, you know, I'd go out and I would go for a couple runs a, a, a week around the neighborhood and, um, I noticed one day picking something up and listen, I'm six foot five. So I'm, I'm people assume that I'm strong, which is don't assume all tall people are strong. Please. Don't do <laughs> I, uh, I, I pick, I pick something up and I'm like, this shouldn't be this heavy. And then it dawned on me that I have, I hadn't done any weight training in over a year. And all I was doing was running. And as much as that keeps you in good cardio shape, I was not strong. I was not physically fit. I was like running fit, but I mm -hmm. wasn't strong. And so we started to get to the tail end of, of, of COVID and, and things are starting to open up. And, you know, I asked my wife, like, hey, do you want to go back to the gym? She's like, no, I just went there for the, the spin classes. Why am I going to go back there when I have, you know, my bike here? And I said, okay, well, I, I don't feel good about where I'm at right now fitness wise. So I'm going to, I'm going to head to the gym and I, I end up start, at that point, the suspension had, had just gone over. So we had to start a new membership and with the new membership came the, uh, the complimentary, you know, kind of fitness training to see if you wanted a, a, a personal mm -hmm. trainer and I'd never done it. And I was like, well, I mean, free is a good number. Like what's going to hurt me go talk to this guy once. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm expecting in my head, this guy to come back and be like, man, you're, you're in great physical shape. Like you don't need this. Like if you want to do a few times a week, you can, but you're good. 
and again, like I mentioned before, after 15 minutes and, and sweating profusely, <laughs> he didn't have to tell me I was not in good shape. Like I knew. <laughs> um, but there was that moment where I was prepared to tell him, no, thanks. I'm good. I'll take care of this on my own. Like I was prepared. It was, it was a couple seconds from coming out of my mouth. And, but then I thought about it and I was like, what, wait a second. Like if I break this money down for an investment in the rest of my life, like I would spend this in two months on random stuff on, I don't know, shoes, clothes, Xbox, whatever, and get that, as you said, that, that instant gratification, that instant high. Mm-hmm. Because I tell you what, for people listening who are thinking about, you know, getting a personal trainer, like I'm not going to like beat around the bush. Like those first few workouts, like you don't get that instant gratification. I know the first few workouts, the first few weeks, the first few months, you don't get that instant gratification because it takes discipline. It takes motivation. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to look at it like if you're putting money into the stock market and you get a money manager, like they will tell you, like, I'm not going to make you your money instantly. Like this is a gradual course that you have to be on. Yeah. And along those lines, just the same as the stock market, any trainer who tells you that you're going to get all these instant results is lying to you. Is absolutely lying. And I remember... Like I had, I was very fortunate. The the trainer that I was I was hooked, I was paired up with. Um, you know, it's funny they put in your bio. Oh, I see that you're a former athlete that you played sports in college. Yeah, I mm-hmm. did. He's like, you shouldn't have told me that. I was like, oh, why, why, man? He's like, I know I can push you. Like I know I can push you. <laughs> and it's funny because I see his other clients, and they'll be like old women who are just yeah. doing flexibility stuff and doing little weights mm-hmm. I'm like man what the hell like what what's going on he's like no no don't worry about that you're the you're the former athlete it's like yeah you know, um but i appreciate the fact that he did that because again there's that fine line between pushing somebody past the limitations they believe they have like i thought i had the limitations that could, I could only get so far. And I'll tell you right now, Sean, like I'm seeing muscles in my body that I didn't even, I've never seen before. Yeah. All it's because, awesome. and, a, and a lot of it is, you know, a lot of it is not going to be the heavy weights, but doing a workout properly, doing mm-hmm. a routine p- properly, like have just little tweaks. Oh, don't hold it here. Don't pull it here. Don't put pu- like push it you know, higher on your chest or have your mm-hmm. hands out wider. And it's like, uh, the first time he reversed my grip on a bench press and my my pec locked up after I got up, I was like, what the hell did you do? Like, what did you do? And he's like, we're using – you've never used that muscle like that before. Like, you've never done these things. Like, this, mm-hmm. is, this is what we're working on. And now, you know, almost a year later, I, I feel like a new person. I feel like – like the, the decision I made last year to do this was one of the best decisions I've ever made. And I was seconds away from saying, nah, I'm good. I got this. Yeah. Yeah. It's an awesome, awesome story, man. It's completely relatable. I've noticed it with myself. I've noticed it in my own clients. And you know, that whole part about, you know, 
<laughs> you told the guy that you were a collegiate athlete and he's like, uh-huh, okay then. So, you know, the, the workouts I got for these, uh, these women in their sixties, not going to apply to you. I did, I've done the same thing myself with a client that she's, uh, in the uh, army reserves. And so she's pretty active already. So I started her with a far more, well, you know, quite a bit more advanced kind of regimen than I would start just about anyone else. And it was challenging for her, but she's exploded from it. Yeah. And they, and, and we're used to like, there, even people like me who I, I'm far removed from any college sport, but I still have that lock somewhere inside where I respond to someone challenging me. Mm. Like, we respond well to that. Like when it gets to a point where someone's like, uh, no, we shouldn't do that. You can't do that. It's like, wait, wait a second. What? I can't do what? And <laughs> no, 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 that's, that's, that's too advanced. We're not going to like, wait a second. Like I'll take, I'll, I'll understand that th you're the professional. And if you don't believe I can do that now, that's fine. But we're going to work to where I can. And it's all reverse psychology. Like it's all mm -hmm. reverse psychology. I know. Right. That. I'm not right. Either. But, um, you know, because and, and then I really learned my lesson the first time I walked in and said, hey, today would be a good day to do legs. And and he looked, he stopped. He turned around. He's like, are you are you sure you're ready for that? I'm like, man, come, whatever. Let's do it. I I couldn't walk the day after because <laughs> just that 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 muscle soreness and muscle tightness. And and I remember texting him. And just being like, I can't feel my legs. And his only response was, you asked for this. And <laughs> so we become good friends now. We text back and forth each day. We send each other stupid memes and things like that. It's and great. I, I start back up with them next month. I took a hiatus for the summer because my girls were off for school. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, what the things he's shown me in regard to some exercises, like I love leg day now. And that sounds mm -hmm. weird. I love leg day. I love like, yeah, because everyone hates leg day. Everyone hates it. And that part of the gym, you, we have a, a whole wall of squat racks. And I dare you to go in there any time of the day and see at least a couple of them open. And if they're mm. not open, it's usually someone doing some exercise on the squat rack that could be done anywhere else in the gym. Right. And uh, you're just there with the death stare. Like, listen, I want to squat. Um, and, <laughs> but, you know, the, you know, working on, uh, quads, calves, and I tell you what, like people don't realize like how important their hamstrings are to just everything they mm -hmm. do. And how prone they are to injury because they get neglected. Yes, and I injured my hamstring a couple months ago, and I could barely do anything. I, I could barely walk. It hurt to stand up from sitting. And from that moment on, I was like, I need to, you know, I need to work on at least strengthening my hamstrings because, and I tell you what, I was playing adult softball and I got a grounder and I threw the ball and in the motion of throwing it, something tweaked in my hamstring. And at that moment, I'm like, it's a really important muscle. It's a really important muscle. And people don't mm -hmm. like core and hamstring. Like those are, those are really big parts of your physical fitness. I know a lot of the young guys want to get in. I want to work on arms. I want to work on chest. I want to right, the mirror the, muscles, the, the mirror. Exactly. But it's like, man, listen, you work those arms, you work that chest, you better get that back. If you get that back, mm -hmm. you better get that hamstring. If you get the hamstrings, you better get the core. Like, 
don't don't be the guy that that you know walks in and with sweatpants on every day because you don't want to show off your legs like be like let's 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 make sure we're we're being honest with ourselves and making sure that we take care just like the brain we we can't just say we're going to just work on this type of stress we right. have to work on we have to have coping mechanisms for a lot of my kid may come home and be sick and i got a big meeting and it's like how do i do both my wife may have to vent to me about something i might have an issue at work there's things we have to cope with so that's where i kind of see the full body routine at the gym right 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 so let's go into a, a kind of a deeper topic here so let's talk about mental health in the black community. So I'm glad you brought this up. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, 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 I kind of, I, I kind of put this off into the very end cause I knew this is kind of a deeper subject. So let's, let's go into that one here. So I got kind of a few sub questions here. So the, what, what do you think are its main sources? How widespread do you believe it is? And why okay and why don't we talk about it very much mm -hmm. what do we do about it and i know those four different questions here we can just start from one to four yeah so it's it's a lot bigger than people think it is it really mm -hmm. is and um you know there are historical reasons for it there's uh behavioral reasons there's um, generational trauma and you know one of the big reasons is that in the history and i'll keep it in this country in the history of this country black men we really couldn't go home and tell our families we just couldn't we don't have it today like ah i i tough tough day like i just i can't be a provider right now i'm really you know we didn't have that ability to tell anybody we had anxiety or depression or we were stressed or we just couldn't do it that day that mm -hmm. is just, that's just a fact. That's not my opinion. That's not me opining. That's nothing like that. That, that is a fact. And what happens through that type of behavior is that children, young boys, they see their father being stoic. They see their mm -hmm. father not showing emotion. They see their father perpetually trying to be a defender of his family and protector of his family. So they want to emulate that. This is my dad. I love my dad. He's the strongest man I know. No dad can beat him up. He's the best dad in the world. I want to do what he's doing. So it goes on for, for generations. And that's in a large percentage of black households in this country. So a part of that is because black men don't talk about this and, and, and historically we haven't talked about this, it like no one else really is going to start the conversation. Like you're not going to have right. someone, someone else. Say, hey, Mark, come over here. Let's talk about your feelings. Like, no, like no one, no one's going to do that. Right. Um, but what I've tried to do is I've kind of challenged myself and other black men in my generation older, younger, whatever, just part of my generation is that let's be, let's be the change agents. Let's, let's stop this now and let's show our emotions. Let's mm -hmm. show that just to come home and say how you're feeling does not make you less of a man. doesn't make you less black. It doesn't make you anything less than you are. So 
let's stop that right now. Like easier said than done. Like let's let's be honest. Sure. Easier said than done. Right. Um, and what's kind of happened, and I'll give you an example, is that the first show that I recorded for my podcast, I was really nervous about it, really anxious about it, and but I just put myself out there. I must have gotten four or five phone calls that week from men saying, thank you for, for saying the things you said. I've been feeling like this for a long time. I just didn't know I could say it. Right. And that in itself gave me a reason to do a second episode and then a third episode. And then now we're on season five and episode 101. Like that's what gave me the ability to do that. So what I do now is... I try to be as vulnerable as possible as much as possible. And what I mean by right. that is I don't always have to be okay with the things that happen. Like I don't always have to be this strong protector. I can show emotion and I want my girls to know that they can show emotion. I want, I remember growing up and thinking my dad is just this strong smart, just stoic, organized man who just his way or the highway. Like he makes the decisions. He is the man. Right. I'm not. And I was, there was a little bit, I mean, I was scared of him. Not going to lie to you. I was scared of him sometimes. Like I didn't want him to be upset with me. I didn't want to disappoint him. But that last part, wanting to disappoint him, you know what that, so that meant I, I, I hid things from him. That means right. I tried to keep grades from him, tried to keep, you know, girls away from him. I didn't want him to meet my girl, you know, things like that. And looking back, I don't know if he meant to do it, but that was traumatizing. Like, that was something that I want to stop. Like, I want my girls, my girl, we, we have one rule in this house. And this is, of course, we have more. But the one biggest rule is, like, you can never get in trouble if you tell me the truth. You can never get in trouble if you tell if, – if my girls know if they start a conversation with, hey, dad, I need to talk to you about something and you promise right. you won't get mad, then that, that's a, that is a sign for me to take as much time as I need to calm down and make sure I go in and know I cannot get mad at this girl because she's been vulnerable and said that she wants to tell me the truth. So to go back to kind of finish the answer – is that the conversations, and this is probably for men in general, but especially for black men, the conversations we have with each other, they're not really feelings conversations. Mm -hmm. you know, they're not really, and here's the thing about them. We give each other clues. Like, we give each other clues. We'll say, we'll call on the phone. Oh, I can't, you can't believe what my girl did to me. Oh, man, you can't believe what my job's doing to me. Like, you can't, you won't believe this. And, and what's our response usually? Oh, man, I don't know what you're talking about. You know you're good. Like, we'll, we'll just get over it. Like, well, let's go grab a beer or something. Let's go watch the game. Let's do something. Right. Your, your friend has literally, that is a invitation for you to have a conversation, to be empathetic, and to listen, and to start that conversation right then and there. Right, right. But men as a whole, and I, I, I know you asked about black men, but I kind of want to talk about men as a whole too, because we feel, a lot of us feel that if we have that conversation, 
it makes us less of a man. It makes us mm -hmm. like, I, I don't like using the phrase toxic masculinity because once you say it, like people turn their ears off and they're like, oh, this guy is another you know, right. woke, woke liberal, or whatever. But no, that's not the case. I'm not, I just don't want to use that term because I think it, 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 it shuns people away. But as men, we understand that our role, we have, there's still gender roles. Like we understand we're supposed to do certain things. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, what in that gender role said we can't listen to another man explain his feelings to us? Right. What makes us, hey, let me pause this TV because every program we watch nowadays, we can pause it. You know, even live, you can pause it and say, you know what? I want to give you my undivided attention. Like, just try it. Like, honestly, just try it. And reach out to a buddy, text him, say, hey, man, hope you're doing well. I want you to know that I'm always here for you if you need to talk. Mm -hmm. Just get rid of, because women are really good at it. My wife is extremely good at being a good listener to her girlfriends that need her to listen. Really, I commend her because she does it so well. Mm -hmm. It took me a long time to learn that. And so if you're a black man listening, like, no, your feelings are valid. You're worth it. Like, just because you believe you can't feel a way or you need to mask it, like, your feelings are valid and you are worth it. You deserve help. You deserve somebody listening. And, you know, if there's a, you know, I, you can always look at the podcast that I'm on relatively on my, my information is there. If you want to email me and or, or submit a question to the show or whatever, I'll listen to you. I'll talk to you because that's how we get to a point where we become these change agents. So the next generation knows that I don't want to play sports. I don't want to always be a protector. I don't always be strong. I sometimes just want to be. So, right. Right. Yeah. Right. I feel like sometimes a lot of men get, they get sent mixed signals about what people want from them what their, you know, their wives, their girlfriends, the women in their lives in general want from them and what they're really supposed to do. Like, you know, we, we are now at a point now where the idea of gender roles is kind of being flipped on its head. And, you know, you can think anything you want about that. That's up to you. But then um, you get told that, you know, you shouldn't be this type of person. But then when you actually start, stop being this type of person, start trying or start trying to kind of, you know, remold yourself to what you're told that people want from you, then you get backlash about it. So now, wait a minute, you know, you're the whatever in this relationship, in this house, or, you know, and this is really not what I want. I mean, like, it's like, you don't really know how you're supposed to really accommodate all these different changes because it seems like it keeps changing all the time. And I'm with you about the toxic masculinity thing. I do not like that term because I, I, I know, I understand what it's supposed to be in reference to. I understand like it's supposed to be in reference to like abuse and tyrannical behavior and, you know, preying on people who are weaker than you or perceptively weaker than you. I understand that was the idea behind it, but I think really what it's doing is that it's teaching, uh, teaching uh, men, particularly young men, men who are just growing up. I think it's teaching them that their masculinity, their masculine traits are toxic. And I think that is a wrong message to send. So do you agree with that? It, it, it can be. And, and again, um, that is, that's one of the reasons, like the term itself was 
again, like you're right, it was created to, t- to try to change a behavior. It was right. tried to, to show people that, um, you know, back in the day, we used the word gay for everything bad. Like, don't mm-hmm. like, we don't do that. And but then you got the guys that say, you can't tell me what to do. And, and then toxic masculinity is born. But now, you know, there's so many phrases like that. When you say them out loud, people don't care what you say afterwards. They just don't. Right. Fair or unfair. I'm not here to argue that. I'm just telling you what happens. So to your first point about the confusing messages, you are a thousand percent correct. It is hard right now. It is hard. Um, I'm not going to sit here and pull an Andrew Tate and say it's hard to be a male. It's, 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 not, it's not that. I'm not going to say that. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just speaking from a male perspective. That's all I'm right. right. Because you're right. It's like, hey, you'll get in that relationship where it's like, baby, listen, I want to pay for everything. I want to protect you. I want to do all this stuff. And you get, uh, you get a woman who says, I don't need you to do that. I don't need you to do any of that. I'm independent. It's like, cool. I can work with that. That's awesome. Then sometimes you let her be independent. It's like, where were you? I thought you were supposed to protect me. It's like, wait, wait a second. I can't, like, I can't do what's going on. And mm-hmm. any, the, the, the most common advice I give to women, and I do not give it often because I know better, but the most common unsolicited advice I give women, I give my wife all the time. I am stupid and I am simple. If you want something, if you need something, you have to say it out loud. I apologize that I can't mind read. I apologize that I can't predict the future. But the best thing for this relationship is for you to just tell me what you want or what I need to do. Because 99 times out of 99.9999 times out of 100, I'm going to mm-hmm. do it for you. But because we've gotten into situations where I know she's upset. I said, what, what's going on? It couldn't have been anything I did. I'm like, what's what's this happening? And then a few days later, well, you know, I wanted to do this. Why didn't we do this? And I was like, did you ever ask me? No. Well, that's why we, that's why we didn't do right, it. Because, right. Right. Well, uh, right. Well, that, that's the that's the that's the whole paradox of the communication thing. You know, they say that good relationships, good marriages are built on open communication. And if you're not talking to me, if you're not telling me what you want, you know, if, if maybe after after you've been with somebody for a certain amount of time, you should be able to intuit to some degree what who they are, what they like, what they don't generally like, there should be a certain learning curve involved here. But if you're not telling me things that are pretty specific and are pretty unknown to me, then I'm not going to know what's going on here. To If you want me to respond to you, then you have to, you got to tell me what's going on inside your head. Exactly. And you know that works for things like, hey, I know um, when my wife is upset, she likes Hershey Kisses. So I know mm-hmm. she said, I can go to the store and pick those up. Or I know that she really loves pasta. So if she wants just to have a fun night with me, we'll go to an Italian restaurant. Like I, and I'll plan that. I know that. However, that does not work for the complex situations and the communication that's needed for that. So if my here's a trigger that my wife has learned i have a playlist on spotify which is literally only titled me 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 whenever i have this playlist on she knows i'm in my feeling she knows i'm going Mm -hmm. through something she knows that so when she hears that playlist she immediately comes to me and says hey what's going on can we talk 
like those things we've worked on over time where she can see the triggers and she can help me cope. However, if we, if I had never opened up to her about my mental health issues, if I had never told her about this playlist and what these songs mean to me, and then one day I get upset at her because she didn't figure it out on her own, that's on me. That's not on her. That's on me. And mm-hmm. communication is really difficult and really hard. And it's something that you constantly have to work on. And I know someone's listening to this and saying, oh, man, my, my girl just doesn't get it. Or my guy just doesn't get it. And, and he'll, he'll never change or she'll never change. You need to ask the question, have I been crystal clear with my expectations? Have I said things over and over again have i made it clear have i or have i left things up to nuance have i left things up to his you know perception or however he sees it or she sees it like communication is a beautiful thing when it's done correctly but miscommunication can can just can ruin lives ruin marriages ruin relationships um and, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because my wife and I have a really solid relationship. And, of course, there's things we work on every day. But one of the things that we've come almost full circle on is if it wasn't said out loud, then we're not going to assume. Like, I don't assume anything. I don't assu- ever assume anything. Mm-hmm. And even the times where I know I can assume correctly, and this is this is me being probably petty and toxic, I apologize. But even the times I know I'm assuming correctly, I don't do anything until I stare at her. And, I, and she's like, what, what, what? I was like, I don't know what you want. Like, what do you want? Like, I, I'm forcing her to say it because, like, that's communication. Like, I want to I wanna make mm-hmm. sure that we're always talking to each other and we're always listening. And... You know, some people, again, you might call me petty or talk. I don't do it all the time. I rarely ever do it, but I think it's funny. She doesn't think it's funny all the time because a lot of times she's <laughs> mad at me. But we have a good laugh about it a few days later. Do you think, um, just come, we're going to start to wrap up here, but do you think the, um, the idea of like the gender roles and things like that, do you think, do you think uh, you know, about flipping gender roles and all that kind of stuff? Do you think it really has taken hold in like black households and black relationships and something like that? Do you, do you think, do you think they really go, they go along with it or is it just something that on the whole, and I, I, I know I'm asking, I'm asking you a big question here and you may not know at all, but you know, I've heard, cause I've heard like just by way of osmosis, I've heard that people, you know, you know, in the black community have sort of at times pushed back against what you would call like the me too movement and things like that. And saying like, no, 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 no. That doesn't work for us. You know, you know, you, you, y'all and your, you know, your suburban gated privileged white lifestyles, you might have that luxury. We don't. All right. That is such, that is such a good question and such a good topic. Um, I, I'll tell you right now from my, from for me personally, there is no specific gender roles in my household. Now, my wife is not black. She's, she's Middle Eastern. My kids are mixed. And mm-hmm. um, I do the lion's share of the cooking, of the cleaning, of the laundry. 
Um, I get the kids after school. They, they come home and they're with me for a couple hours where their mom gets home and, and I take them. Every time I leave the house, I take them with me. I, I, there's no specific gender roles in my house. Now, what you're saying is something that we've seen in the older generations. And I have firsthand knowledge of this. Like it's the grandmother saying, oh, no, honey, he, he should be working and you should be staying home. Or oh, I, can't mm-hmm. believe, I can't believe this boy is, is, is not working and his wife is uh, making the money. And, and we've seen it with older generations. And um, it, it is common in, I'd say, 60 plus. But the, my friends, the people of my generation, the younger ones, have started to accept that we can we can do things a little differently mm-hmm. if you talk to a lot of my friends are i have a good split with my friends male and female and a lot of my friends who are black females love the independence love the ability to make their own schedule and love being able to have a husband that is 50 50 with them and that's mm-hmm. when we get down to the when we get down to the end of the day like that's what you really want that at least that's what i want i want someone who's going to put into this relationship as much as i put into it we know the burdens and the crosses and all the stuff the black woman has had to bear in this country for the long they're they're changing elections now like that's what that's how much responsibility black women have now it's crazy right. and I can't think of a stronger human than the black woman through time. Like I cannot think of a stronger human and what they've had to do to raise the black household, what they've had to do to support uh, the economy. Like black women do so much for this country and this community and they get rarely any of the accolades or any of the admiration for it. So Uh To answer your question, there is there there is probably some pushback from people the generation before mine. But of all the black couples I know, I have a, a good friend who you know he takes the girls all the time. He does most of the cooking, and and they're fifty fifty on things. She works. She has a good job. Like, and then it's and, and he's and he's my age, my generation. And then you kind of look at the people who are coming up now, the young professionals now. And the diversity in the young professionals and mm-hmm. the executive positions that they want. Like, it no longer is it like a compliment to tell a woman, hey, you know what? Well, you can be an administrative assistant or you can be um, uh, a maid or you can do something in the service industry or, or, or customer service. Like, black women, they, they want to be executives, they want to run their own companies, they want people to support them while they're supporting those people at the same time. So, you know, I think there was some truth to that a generation before mine, maybe two generations before mine, but now we're really seeing right. a shift uh, in, in the black household. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, Mark, we're going to start to wrap up now. Um, it's been an amazing interview. I just want to kind of end things on one final question. So if anyone's listening here, anyone who might be listening or anyone who will listen, if you can sum up in final analysis, put everything in with one thing, or say something that one thing that people will remember, if nothing else, what do you think it would be? 
I will reiterate the fact that putting yourself first is not selfish. Prioritizing your own mental and physical health is not a selfish act. It's when you start to put everything before you and forget who you are, forget that you're important, that's when it becomes selfish. So make sure you treat yourself like a friend, prioritize your own mental and physical health, and invest in yourself. And that means getting a personal trainer, get a personal mm -hmm. trainer because <laughs> they will do wonders for you. I thought I was fit, people. Word. I thought I was fit. I was not fit at all. <laughs> so, Mark, if people want to reach out to you, where could they find you? You can find me on Facebook, just uh, put in Relatively Normal Pod, and on Instagram, it's Instagram uh, backslash Relatively Normal Podcast. I also have a fitness page, uh, fitness un or Paisant underscore fitness, which kind of just shows my journey over the last year of kind of getting fit. And nice. I use it, I don't use it as vanity at all. Basically, I use it as, and I mean this in the most selfless way, if I can do it literally anyone can i can do it anyone can i promise you put the work in you're not going to get instant gratification but give yourself some time because you're worth it so right i mean exactly there. right and we'll and we'll put the we'll put all that stuff um in the show notes so people can connect to it they'll find your podcast your social media and everything else all right Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. This has been the Fitness Reborn podcast. My name is Sean from Renaissance Fitness Personal Training. Um, you can find me on social media too, um, at Renaissance Training on Facebook. That's the business page. Uh, Renaissance underscore athletic. That's me on Instagram. Uh, there's also, I'm offering um, free and paid courses. They're going to be online. I'll put a link on that as well. You can find all that very easily. And Mark Paisant, it's been a pleasure. I've enjoyed the conversation. And uh, I, I hope uh, sometime in the future I can have you again. We can kind of pick up where we left off. or Because I think I got probably a whole other bunch of questions I can ask you just based on what we spoke about. Yeah, no problem. It was my pleasure, man. I had a lot of fun. All right. All right. Thanks a lot, everyone. We'll see you later. Take care. Hey, thanks for listening. Don't forget you can become a supporter of the show by becoming a monthly subscriber. No commitments, cancel anytime. Every little bit helps and I'd sure love your support. Also, you can click any of the links to our social media platforms provided in the show notes and you can email me at renfitnesswarriors at gmail.com. That's ren, R-E-N, fitnesswarriors at gmail.com. If you got a fitness story to tell, I'd love to hear it. And you never know, you might just find yourself on the show. Until next time, train hard. Peace.